the Aggressor Adventures podcast, bringing you the adventures across the airwaves. Welcome to the Aggressor Adventures podcast. My name is David Uloa, and I'm pleased to be your guest host today. I'm coming at you from my home office here in Florida. And for those of you who don't already know me, I'm the founder and executive producer of Vallejo Films. Guest hosting today's podcast for Aggressor Adventures is particularly special to me. And I think you'll understand more about that once you meet today's guest, because our overlapping work is actually one of the ways I know her. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to one of my good friends, Samantha Whitcraft. Now I'll tell you a little bit about her first. She's, she's the di Director of Conservation and Outreach for the Sea of Change Foundation and for Aggressor Adventures. She worked diligently in developing their Green the Fleet operations for them. Over the last 20 years, she's, she's worked as a marine conservation biologist, working in the field, the lab, and in the office, doing all she can to protect the ocean's ecosystem. She's a consummate traveler and explorer. She's been to the Amazon with Nat Geo, been to the Mesoamerica Reef with uh, NOAA's Coral Reef Conservation Program, and to some of the most remote islands of the Pacific. And she did this to develop programs around citizen science and sustainable ecotourism. Samantha has also served on the Water Resources Advisory Commission for the South Florida Management District and on the Sanctuary Advisory Council of the Hawaiian Islands Humpback Whale National Marine Sanctuary. I'm certain that must have been a blast and super rewarding. All of this effort comes from a passion and education. Sam graduated from Harvard University with a bachelor's in natural science and later earned her master's of marine affairs and policy at the University of Miami. One last thing I'd like to point out here is that after the Gulf, Gulf oil spill, she was recognized by NOAA Fisheries with a national award for exceptional service in response to the Deepwater Horizon disaster. It's, uh, it's fun because we're talking about Sam because we've worked together over the years on several projects related to manatees, sharks, and most recently on her Dima Wavemaker finalist award video. So it's a real pleasure for me to welcome Samantha to this show today. Hi, Sam. Hi, David. So nice. Always nice to see you. Thank you for that really nice introduction. I appreciate it, especially You're... coming from you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. It is good to see you again. So one of the things we uh, I mentioned in the introduction is the Sea of Change Foundation. Can you take a few moments to talk to our listeners about the Sea of Change Foundation? What is it? Yeah, of course. I'm happy to. Um, and I'll count on you to help me keep it short because I could go on endlessly because <laughs> there's so much that the Sea of Change Foundation does. And uh, one of the things I always say about it is that we're small but mighty. So uh, the Sea of Change Foundation was founded in 2015 by leaders in the um, scuba diving and adventure travel industries. And, um, you know, we can talk more a little bit about how that overlaps with aggressor adventures, mm -hmm. but for right now, um, you know, it's uh, executives of uh, some of the leading businesses in the dive industries, um, including the executive director uh, and CEO of uh, aggressor adventures, Wayne Brown, yes. uh, and uh, a lot of the founding of the foundation is his vision, and uh, we continue to build on on that. Uh, and so the Sea of Change Foundation, our motto is to create positive change for the natural world that we all love to enjoy and explore. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in a nutshell, what we do is we uh, find 
projects where seed money, small but mighty, where a small amount of investment, relatively speaking, can provide uh, a large return in terms of conservation. Hmm. And one of the ways that we do that is that we have three very specific focus areas. And before I tell you what they are, let me explain why that's important if you're going to be small but mighty. And you yes. probably know this from your business. <laughs> um, and that is that... Uh, for example, one of the major challenges facing the oceans and ecosystems everywhere today is climate change. Mm -hmm. Do NGOs and nonprofits need to be focusing energy and money and time on climate change in general? Yes, of course, it's critical. However, the Sea of Change Foundation is not in a position to address something that large, that international and that complicated. We are in a position, if we stay focused and get small but mighty, to make big differences in other areas. And so in order to do that, we've really focused. And our focus areas are threefold. One is coral reefs uh, con uh, conservation and restoration re and reef resilience specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, which does sort of tie into climate change, but not, a, it's, addressing what's happening to reefs rather than what's causing reefs mm, to or one of the things anyway then uh the second one is ocean pollution uh awareness and action and significantly it's awareness paired with action um i think awareness building is important but again i feel like there's a lot of money and a lot of skin already in that game whereas if you combine awareness with action then hopefully you can really make things happen. And later, if you ask me, I can give you examples of each of these. I would love to. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, great minds think alike. <laughs> and then uh, and then the third one is um, uh, threatened species. And that's uh, basically, that's one of the places where the Sea of Change Foundation actually now, by unanimous vote of the board last year, uh, uh, deals in conservation issues both in the sea and on land. And so in terms of threatened species, when and if we find projects that, again, allow us to put in a small amount of seed money for a big conservation payoff, if it's on land, then that's something that, that we're gonna do. And uh, I can give you a really good example, two really good examples of that later as well. Wonderful. So that's who the Sea of Change Foundation is uh, in a nutshell. We're a nonprofit. We're a fi legal 501c3. Mm -hmm. um, and one, one last thing that makes us really stand out, I think, in the conservation community is that 100% of all funds raised and donated to us goes to these conservation projects. We have zero administrative overhead, um, and that's due primarily to the generosity of Aggressor Adventures. And that's the tie-in between Aggressor Adventures and Sea of Change. That, as well as we're fortunate that the Wayne Brown, who's the CEO of Aggressor Adventures, is also the chairman of the board of the foundation's board of directors. Um, and then uh, Anne Hassan, who's well-known in the diving community for good reason. She's a yes. powerhouse. She's wonderful. She, she's uh on the board of the foundation as well, along with being the director of marketing and advertising uh, for Aggressor Adventures. And then Justin Brown, who's the head of merchandising for Aggressor Adventures, serves on our board of advisors. And he's really important because he's why I guess where all this <laughs> awesome 
Sea of Change merchandise and why we're able to sell it, plug, 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 plug on yeah. our webpage um, with 100% of the profits of all of our logo wear uh, going to our conservation programs. So wow. there's a lot of really lovely tie-ins between the wonderful company that is Aggressor Adventures and the small but mighty foundation that is Sea of Change. Wow, I can, I can see that just from that. But there are things that Aggressor Adventures does with it. So for instance, like ocean pollution. Tell me, you said you had an example of what, what happens there? Yeah, so uh, I was really excited uh, this last summer, despite you know every all the craziness that's going on in the world, we were able to run the first annual uh, Aggressor Adventures Great Shoreline Cleanup. Wow. And uh, we had, I think it was, yeah, 172 volunteer man hours across <laughs> all of the yachts that volunteered to do cleanups on their local beaches, or uh, one cleanup was at a river mouth, um, one was in a harbor in Honduras, like the, the, the yacht in Honduras was in lockdown and so they couldn't go anywhere, but they were sure. so eager to participate and do something good for the oceans, not that they don't every day, but for this particular project, um, that they literally just cleaned the, the floating trash that was in the harbor where they were um, in dock. So these are, um, the, these are the ship's personnel taking their own yeah. time, volunteering yeah. on a day off or something, and then going yeah. out and, and helping the yeah. community. Wow. How did... And not only, just so that you can be even more impressed, not only <laughs> did they provide 172 volunteer hours to do this, but they cleaned up 800 pounds of trash. Wow. <laughs> That's mind-boggling to think what that could look like. Is is there a way people can see the results of what was done? Yeah, um, we did a press release, so um, you can really just Google uh, "Aggressor Adventures cleans up 800 pounds of trash" and it'll come right up. It was picked up by a few news agencies because it is kind of pretty impressive. <laughs> um, and that, and I should point out that that was primarily. Well, let me back up. Another way that the two the company and the organization are linked are via me. Okay, so I'm the uh, director of conservation outreach for the foundation, mm -hmm. but also for Aggressor Adventures. So there's often synergy that way, right? Because I'm constantly changing hats. You need a hat with um, two bills, don't you? Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. yeah, I do. Sometimes I joke that in the, when I go to dive shows or I go to give seminars or guest talks or whatever that I should really wear, you know, like, like a, a Sea of Change t-shirt under an Aggressor Adventures hoodie. <laughs> yeah. Both. Now, now I'm both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, so with, the, with the Great Shoreline Cleanup, that was primarily through Aggressor's Adventures Green the Fleet Sustainability Initiative that you mentioned uh, in the introduction. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been a three-year process of um, expanding and formalizing Aggressor Adventures' uh, sustainability initiatives. And it, when I first started with the company, um, I thought that, like most companies, it would be an uphill battle to, to get to a place where things were sustainable, especially for somebody me who others might see as a bit extreme, you know, like right. I, I'm allergic Strong. to single use plastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've been around me, you know, yes. what I like about stuff like that. <laughs> so, um, but you know, quick story behind that was, um, when I first started with aggressor, uh, they, uh, sent me on, uh, one of the yachts 
and uh, it was spectacular and amazing. And you know, I can't really say enough about the product; it's incredible. Absolutely. But uh, at that point, there were still not very many, really, but there were still occasionally a few plastic straws here or there, um, especially if somebody asked for them. And so uh, when I came back from the trip, you know, I shared with the powers that be that it was an incredible trip, but that I was concerned about the few plastic straws and that I thought that, you know, slowly phasing them out from all of the yachts along with, you know, let's go back and look at things like single use plastic water bottles and um, LED lighting and, Mm. you know, let's just go through and look at everything. And my experience in the past uh, in working in organizations is that when you suggest something like that, it leads to meetings and memos and then eight months later, you might get to the point where you're proposing something. Right. And, um, you know, Wayne Brown is such a really amazing leader in so many ways that when I brought it up, it was at DEMA and we were like just walking from one booth to the other and he just turned and almost Star Trek like was like, well, make it so. (laughs) (laughs) Number one. Go do that. (laughs) Um, And so long story short, you know, Green the Fleet has been just a huge success um, and, you know, we've really made, built on what was already green at Aggressor Adventures. and and that's on our website too. If you go to Aggressor Adventures, you can just click on the Green the Fleet logo, and it'll it'll detail some of that. Uh, but then three years later, it also now includes the Great Shoreline cleanup that I just described to you, where you know we go beyond raising awareness. It's not just oh hey look you know be aware there's a lot of plastic in the ocean. It's mm-hmm. no, and also we're gonna you know, our amazing team is going to volunteer 172 hours to clean up 800 pounds of coastal trash, you know, while on board the boats, we're also greatly eliminating single use plastic to the maximum extent possible. The fleet is not the source of the pollution. Exactly. I mean, you and I and, and people in the know understand that it's really, it's the source that's the problem, but there's also an opportunity to, to clean up when you see that there's trash somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely, yes. And then one other example is, for example, at our headquarters in Augusta, um, we, after I stamped my little foot a little <laughs> bit at the, at the first company Christmas party, I was like, uh, is that? Is that a coffee maker with those little plastic pods? Can we can we not <laughs> get get that out of here? <laughs> yeah. So um, that right away, like within, it was really quick. It was like within two weeks, uh, we went to the biodegradable pods. Oh um, yes, the yes. coffee maker, and then and now at the Christmas parties, there. I mean, for the last three years, there's never been any single use plastic at all for the big buffet. You know, potluck. Um, Christmas party that we have it's all either bamboo that can be um, recycled or composted mm-hmm. or like real silverware and then we all just wash it together that's wonderful um, it's leadership yeah. by example that's great Absolutely. yeah and uh and it's all led lights at hq now and all of the yachts um and the properties uh including the safari lodge and the the nile um the Nile yacht, mm-hmm. they all are trans either all LED lights or they're transitioning. So when it's wow. time to change out a light, it'll be changed to LED. So yeah, Green the Fleet's a I mean, it's just a hugely successful program then and and I'm so proud of it. And I know that everybody at the company is too. Sounds like it. And it's important to have something like that because when you're focusing on something else like uh, like 
coral reefs, restorations and resilience. You know, it, it does that would do no good if you're polluting the waters, killing killing the reefs. So what? Yeah. So yeah. So talk a little bit about the restoration on the reefs that that you guys are involved yeah. in. So um, you know, we've done several projects with that, but to talk about those, I should really talk about our grants program mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. So um, we have two grants that we give out. One is our uh, conservation priority grants. Those are generally a bit larger in funding amount mm -hmm. for generally slightly larger projects. And then we have our really amazing, and I'll put this aside and we can talk about it afterwards, um, uh, Reef Rescue and Rapid Response grants. Mm. Our cubed no our quadrat r to the four r. <laughs> <laughs> it's reef rescue and rapid response and what that is is um we have rolling funds available on an ad needed basis that range between five and ten thousand dollars for local dive operators or local communities to reach out to us when and if a reef is acutely damaged well, by human cause or like by yeah like a boat grounding or a vessel drop um hurricanes if the damage is like if it's just hurricane damage we generally don't find response to that but mm -hmm. for example there was uh recently dorian went through some of the coral nurseries in the bahamas and just wreaked havoc and so we were happy to work with christina zanato and her group to fund them, to fund the gas and the manpower to get back out to those um, nurseries and make sure they were okay, write any trees that had been knocked, knocked over, retie up any coral, get that, get everything squared away. Then hmm, um, wow. same thing um, uh, at a reef in uh, Malaysia, they had a typhoon come through. This is a little tiny resort and the jetty there that was all wood an old-fashioned jetty was knocked off of its pilings and the wood was literally like rolling back oh, and forth oh no yeah yeah oh. breaker right <clears throat> so we funded them to uh buy lift bags and pay their divers to go out there and haul all of that wood off of the reef um and and all what i should say is that all of these we respond to like within you know, we try to get it all done, get you, once you reach out to us and we approve that, mm -hmm. okay, this funds, you can do this within a week, we get you the funds Did so you... that you can respond. <laughs> That's remarkable. Right? Most grants well, take a year, a cycle of a year or two. I know. But the thing that was so important to me about creating this program is that when a reef is suffering that kind of really acute, intense damage, like from a vessel drop, from an anchor drop or a vessel grounding or some of these other things, mm -hmm. Time is of the essence, you know, like when a giant pillar coil has been knocked over from an anchor drop, you've got a few days to turn it back over so that the polyps live, oh, you know, right. maybe yes. a week. Um, and same with if there's an oil, local oil spill, you know, you've got a few days to get a boom up around your reef and hope to keep the oil off of it. Mm -hmm. So, and one of the things that, like when I was in Raja Ampat a few years ago, there was a massive vessel grounding on uh, I think the name of the dive site is Cree or Cree I think it's what it was called mm -hmm. um, just an amazing dive site that's famous all over the world for huge numbers of biodiversity of fish and two weeks after I left from that trip uh, a vessel grounding just Oof. 
And um, and there just wasn't funds for the local divers who were the ones who were seeing the damage to get out and take photos for a lawsuit, for goodness sakes. Oh, right. Or, you know, start collecting fragments to hang them, to grow them on trees or write upside down. They didn't have the funds to go out and do that. And that was one of many times that I had been hearing that story over and over again. Like, man, we could have done something. All we needed was, you know, some gas for the boat and some lift bags and, you know, an updated underwater camera. And we would have been there. We would have done right, it. Right, right. And so when I started with Sea of Change Foundation, that was one of the first things I brought to the board was like, you know what doesn't exist that would be really great would be a rapid response grant for situations like this. And, and it's and it's been great. I mean, I hope that this podcast gets the knowledge out more to mm -hmm. people that these funds are available because I'd like more divers and communities to apply when these things happen so that we can provide the funding and continue to do things like this. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, we'll get that information out at the end. What about the, you mentioned one of the other areas of focus is the threatened species and habitats. What is, yeah. tell me a little bit about that. You had some examples too. Yeah, so I'll try to do a terrestrial example and a marine example. Oh, nice. Although there's so many good ones that I don't, mm. okay, I'll, I'll briefly, since you and I are both shark addicts, oh, yes. mentioned that one of the first projects we did um, was to uh, go with Mickey McComb and her group uh, to Dr. Mickey McComb, I don't know if you know her, um, she runs uh, a marine conservation program out of Colorado. Oh, right, yes, yes. Yeah, and so uh, worked with her and her group to go to Costa Rica, to the west coast of Costa Rica, just up the coast from Punta Arenas, which as you know is notorious for um, being a shark fin port. Mm -hmm. um, and we went just up the coast from there and did the first ever marine life census of that area of Costa Rica, specifically wow. looking for manta rays and sharks. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the results from that were a bit discouraging um, in that it you know, we're, the data is still being analyzed, but the initial results, oh, and this was also with the University of Costa Rica um, and, and their shark program. So mm -hmm. it was very inclusive, very multinational. This was and pretty recent, was, wasn't it? This was three years ago. Okay, yeah. yes. But, yeah. but excitingly, you know, again, when we talk about like seed money and like small but mighty, mm -hmm. like we went in with a little bit of seed money to start this program and now um, the University of Costa Rica has recently gotten uh, a ton more, I don't remember how many more, like 20 more or something acoustic receivers to expand the array. Wow. Because what we did when we were there was that we tagged sharks and rays so that we could track their movement because you have to know where the animals are moving to know where you're going to protect them mm -hmm. or how or if you even can. Yes. So we, we funded uh, three receivers and I think it was four tags. Um, and now they're up to, you know, using that as a uh, launch pad to go out and apply for more grants to get more receivers to say, look, we've already started and here's the initial data. Now, if we put out more receivers, we could find out more information. So um, that's that's a good first example, um, because obviously not all shark species are endangered. But I would argue that not from a legal standpoint, but from a biological standpoint, almost all sharks are threatened and certainly in some place like Costa Rica. Absolutely. Uh, Big animals in the ocean are all in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then the uh, a, ter- a, a more terrestrial one is uh, we worked with uh, the Sri Lankan Wildlife Conservation Society and helped them find this amazing thing that you're, it's going to blow your mind. You're not going to believe it. <laughs> I can't wait. We helped fund something called Project Orange Elephant. And what that project <laughs> does is, I know, right? Hey, what, what a name. Think? Yeah, what are you painting? Like when I first heard about it, I thought it was like painting the tusks orange. You know, there was that whole thing for a while about painting yeah. tusks pink and whatever. No, it's so much cooler than that. So it turns out that one of the only food crops that elephants don't like is citrus. Like they will avoid hmm. it. Do not like it. It's like a deterrent for them. Okay, yeah. So, but one of the problems facing elephants in Sri Lanka, like elephants everywhere in the world, is the conflict between human land use and elephant foraging needs. Sure. That's what conflict is, right? And that's how elephants lose their habitat, and that's how then elephants get angry, and then there's attacks, and then there's killings, and it escalates. Yes. So if you can help create a situation where uh, elephants aren't tempted to forage in the farms of farmers and stay in their more natural habitat, mm-hmm. then you you mitigate those negative impacts. So what we did was we, through uh, Project Orange Elephant, we funded, I don't remember how many plantings it was now, but uh, 6,000 or more wow. uh, citrus saplings to be planted by local farmers so they could transition to a citrus crop which is then not only a a sustenance sustenance crop for Mm -hmm. them and their families in their town but can also be a cash crop um, in local markets so they then are making a living and they're growing food but they're not incurring incursions by elephants by elephants yeah wow yeah so producing all of that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, that's the, and those are the kinds of projects that we love, is projects where um, the community benefits, the wildlife benefits, where there's um, a big, for a little bit of payment, there's a big payoff to the community and to the wildlife. And so another example I'll give, because we just are about to release the press release on this, mm-hmm. is we worked with the Science Exchange to run an international contest to design a better box for sea turtles wow so what that's all about is that if you sea turtle nesting beaches all over the world are facing challenges from poachers from increased predation from um introduced species from uh sea level rise Mm -hmm. from uh beach entanglement from plastic so a lot of sea turtle nesting beaches the that are managed the sea turtle uh, nest and eggs will be put into um, styrofoam coolers and then incubated until the hatchlings hatch and then the hatchlings are released because mm-hmm. then you you skip all the perils that the nest would go through right, right? yeah over time yeah I, I mean you're have you been to sea turtle nesting beaches and like seen hatchling releases and stuff like that not not the formal but just been to the beaches and seen the turtles come out and actually yeah. seen the turtles in trouble last time we were walking on a beach there was a, a young sea turtle tangled in pollution and yeah, yeah. d and i you know didn't touch the turtle but we made a we made a path for it and found a way and this little guy managed his way into the water it was it was a wonderful morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So that's a that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So, but the the challenge uh, there is that um, that's a lot of styrofoam coolers yes. to be used, Oof. and 
styrofoam in the ocean is no good. It's no bueno. Don't even get um, near the ocean with styrofoam. <laughs> it breaks down into those little tiny pieces <clears throat> and then fish and seabirds and um, filtering feeders like whale sharks, they all ingest it. And even if you, I mean, I care deeply about that, but even yeah. if you don't care about that, the, um, the chemicals that are in it go into the food chain and then they bioaccumulate up the food chain and they can end up in our food. So yeah, pretty quickly, yeah. styrofoam is, is a very good short-term answer for saving hatchling sea turtles. It's a very bad long-term solution. Mm -hmm. So what uh, Catherine uh, Comer Santos and I from the sea turtle exchange program, uh, from the science exchange program, uh, hatched an evil plan when we were last <laughs> together at the sea turtle annual sea turtle consortium, mm -hmm. and that was to uh, have an international competition. And rather than us coming up with the answer, challenge students and the general public all over the world wow. to to come up with a solution. And so uh, we made a video and we put it out there into the universe. And we had certain criteria, biological mm -hmm. criteria, that it had to, you know, retain moisture and be able to uh, insulate heat and, uh, you know, keep out predators and, you know, things that are important. Yes. So we put it out there, crossed our fingers, and we got just amazing entries from all over the world, ranging from, like, paper mache boxes to, like, water buckets with holes in them hmm. to baskets. <laughs> and... Uh, and then uh, she and her interns in San Pancho, San Pancho, Mexico, mm -hmm. this past summer, uh, built the built the prototypes of the final ones. That and all of these were judged by uh, sea turtle scientists. Oh, perfect! So, yes. Yeah, and so the final there were there were four finalists. They were all the prototypes were built, and then they were tested using data loggers, not mm -hmm. using sea turtle eggs because we don't <laughs> want to danger any little baby turtles until we know what works. We put data, they put data loggers in the damp sand, the beach sand, mm -hmm. and then collected all the information about how well each one of these different boxes was working. Brilliant. Yeah. And excitingly, the winner, yeah. the woven basket made, woven out, basket made out of wild vines that grow abundantly along the beaches of Mexico. So there's no factories involved, manufacturing, shipping. This is, this is a, a natural... So part of the you, ecosystem. You weave, you weave these circular baskets and then line them with natural palm fiber and then weave a little lid. And then in the next phase, um, they're going to add cinnamon to the outside to keep um, insects out. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing, too, is that they can actually hang because they're baskets. So that could help keep predators from going into them. Wow. So... Um, yeah, it's just really exciting. And it's just really, and, and the winners were the owner of a dive ecotourism company on that coast of Mexico and her friend who owns a uh, seaside restaurant. And um, he had those spheres hanging in his restaurant um, for lights. Oh, it was just light fixture kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. And what? so they just thought, oh, well, wouldn't this work? And boom. And so then, and then the and then the idea is that um, they're not that hard to weave, and you can train people in the community to weave these baskets, and then they make money creating something for sustainable for conservation, and then it includes the community. Wow. I mean, it's like a Cinderella story in sustainability. I mean, it's 
<laughs> I mean, when I, when I found out the because when they said the basket, when we were going over the initial entries, mm-hmm. I was like, God, the basket's so cool. It's too bad it's just never gonna work. And then when they <laughs> when they when they showed the result, and it was all data driven. I mean, mm-hmm. this, the data showed that the basket worked the best the for. Best. You know, temperature regulation and for moisture and price and sustainability and ease of manufacture and all this stuff. Um, I just was like, wow, that's you couldn't ask for a better answer. That's great. Yeah. It is wonderful. The light bulb went off in their heads and they said, let's use that. <laughs> and and it proved it proved to withstand it. So that's a lot of information. And, you know, I looked at the website a few times and, and just making working with you on the on the DEMA video. The award video, the there is a lot going on. How can somebody? I mean, and we've covered a lot of territory here. How can somebody who wants to get involved, you know, how can somebody become involved, be a part of this, or contribute in the fundraising? Yeah. What 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 can yeah. people do? So um, we have two uh, programs. Well, obviously, I encourage divers everywhere to be aware of the Reef Rescue and Rapid Response Program. And if you go to our website, there's actually a PDF download um, that you can download and you can have that posted in your dive shop or on your local community bulletin board so that if something does happen to your reef, you, and all of our contact information is on that flyer, and then you can reach out to us anytime. I mean, I hope nothing ever happens to anybody's reef, but something right. always happens. Right. I mean, there's always something happening somewhere. It's inevitable, um, yes. So that, that's one of the key ways is to know that we're here for you in terms of reef rescue and rapid response. Um, another way is that we do have an internship program, mm. uh, and that's for college students. And each one, uh, we prefer four to six month commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, people can get in touch with us uh, by emailing info at seaofchange.com. Then we also uh, we provide scholarships, mm-hmm. and uh, we're actually developing a new one now. And information about that for marine science students that will be on our uh, webpage uh, in January. So those are some of the the direct ways. Um, obviously, being a, a small but mighty foundation with a hundred percent of donations going to projects, innovative projects like these, um, you know, we, we always need donations. And so uh, we have a donate button on our uh, website mm-hmm. uh, that works great. You can make a donation with PayPal or whatever. Uh, and then another way, especially right now through this Saturday, through November 14th, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, we have an online auction that's a fundraiser that's amazing. It has aggressor trips. <laughs> it has high-end dive computers, it has Guy Harvey jewelry, it has artwork by one of our advisory, oh, Guy Harvey's on our advisory board, so mm. is Ron Steven, the artist, and um, so some of his um, products that have his art on it are uh, up for auction. Um, so it's just an incredible auction, again, small but mighty. Yes. Uh, and so I invite people to bid this year, or if you're hearing this podcast and it's already over, fear not. We have it every year. Um, just follow us on Facebook. Just mm-hmm. check um, Sea of Change Foundation on Facebook, and we post about not only these projects and what we're doing, and um, you know information about how you can support us, but we also post about the um, the auction. And so, if you miss this year's, if you follow us on Facebook, you'll hear about it uh, next year. So those are just um, some of the ways that people can get involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So go to the website, get uh, download PDF, follow social media, get involved yeah. in the auction. I was just scrolling down the auction page right now and it, it's a wide range of things. Everything from tools and equipment, like you said, to vacation, dive gear. Yeah. I mean, some of this dive gear on there right now is way below retail price. Oh, I know. Just, uh, there's, there's one on there that comes Saturday. I may be bidding. Exactly. <laughs> um, but there's also um, like one of my favorite things on there is um, Hoffner uh, Knives has always been a big supporter of us with these auctions. Mm -hmm. And there's a uh, it's called a bodyguard knife. Oh, yes. And it actually hangs on a chain inside of like a sheath. Mm -hmm. And then if somebody messes with you, you're just like. <laughs> Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm an aggressor adventure. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Don't that's mess right. with my reef. Don't mess or... with my reef. Oh, that's great. Well, Sam, this has been a ball. I uh, really appreciate you being able to talk more about the Sea of Change, the connection to aggressor adventures, how people can become involved, and, and describe all the. And I know you just scratched the surface of all the things that, that you guys are up to and what you've been doing. So thank you so much for this time. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being a guest host. How fun. <laughs> it is that fun. Get, that we get to do this. It was a, it was a wonderful break. We're in post-production now, and all I do is I stare at, you know, editing screens, which is great. So it's wonderful to, to sit here with a friend and have, have, a, have a wonderful half hour. Have a chat. And now you know more about Sea of Change, too, so hopefully we can... Uh, we can work together on some stuff in the future. I'm looking forward to that. There's nothing better than being out on the ocean on an aggressor boat doing some good for the environment. Absolutely. <laughs> you and me both. Aggressor. All aboard Aggressor Adventures sooner rather than later. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is coming. It is coming. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate everything. And, and uh, I guess everybody can get links and stuff either from the bottom of this show or, or on the website or social media. Yep. Um, it's uh, in case it's there's any confusion. It's www.seaofchange.com, and then on Facebook, just um, search for Sea of Change Foundation, and you'll find us. Outstanding. Well, thank you again. I look forward to the next time. All right, I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Bye. Spotify, or whatever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.